Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Lord, we pray um, as we go through this text, Lord, to hear what you're saying to us. Um, I probably want to take their eyes off me and put them on you, Lord as we listen to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me tell you about my cousin Carol and her husband. Um, They live in America, Texas, America, and they're a lovely couple. But my cousin, she has lupus. And so lupus is... um, is, is something that attacks the immune system, attacks the, the, the cells in the immune system. And so, or it's the immune system, sorry, attacking the, the, the cells in the body. And so, Steve, her husband, knew this before they got married, but he still married her. He loves her unconditionally. Carol can't have kids. And so Steve knew this before they got married, but he, he loves her, he still loves her, and he still married her. He loves her unconditionally. It's got to the point now where Carol um, is on a dialysis machine. So, you know, a machine like that is replacing the functions of the kidney. Steve is ready to give one of his kidneys for her. He loves her unconditionally. Some of us... We love like this, and some of us don't. And it's a, it's, this is how God loves. God loves us unconditionally. Some of us love like this, as I was saying, and some of us, some of us don't. Um, there's times when I don't love people unconditionally. And this is a problem in the church. This is a problem for us, especially if bad people are actually coming in, looking, seeking something but really they're, they're, finding some pe- they're finding someone who's unloving. They're finding a church that's unloving. And as I said, sometimes I fall into the trap of loving, not loving unconditionally, only loving certain individuals. And some of us here, some of us Christians here, we do exactly the same if we're honest. There are people we don't like There's some people that we know before they became a Christian, we knew the sin that they were in, and we're uncomfortable with that. And from the time that they come into the door, we're saying to ourselves, you know what, you shouldn't be here. You know what, if the pastors knew what you did, they'd kick you out. That's what we're thinking. Or you may have known someone who's actually, who was coming to church, and then they backslid, they, and now they've come back. They've come back into church fellowship. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute. And you knew the sin that they were in, and you're thinking to yourself, why are you here? Why have the pastors allowed you to come back into church? Listen, I used to think that way until I went through this message. Or maybe you're, you've, 
you've never been to church before and this is your first time, maybe you, or maybe you just visit on special occasions like Christmas or, or Easter, and you know that you're really bad. And you really want to come to God, but you're, you're scared. You're scared that he might not accept you. You're scared because he knows how bad you are. And you say to yourself, you know what? God couldn't love someone like me. You know what? I go through bouts in my life where I think like that sometimes. But let's see what the Bible has to say about our condition. We'll be looking at um, Luke 15 and be reading from verses 11 to 32. So before we read, let's just um, give you some background information. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His heart is, his heart is set to, to go to Jerusalem. And he has followers who are listening to everything that he has to say. And he's teaching his listeners what it means to follow after God. And there are two groups of people who are, who are listening to him. You have the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're one set, and then you have the the tax collectors and the sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees, as you know, they, um, they studied, they obeyed the word of God, they worshiped God, they prayed to God. Um, but the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're, you know, from, as they were growing up, they were ignoring God and they just lived for themselves. When Jesus taught, he would he will talk about what it would mean to enter into the kingdom of God. And he makes the connection between dining and coming into God's kingdom. And leading up to this particular passage, he's been dining with the Pharisees. And the, but the Pharisees, they're only, they're not, sorry, let me just explain. In that culture, when you dine with someone, it shows that you are accepting them for who they are. And so, but when, the, when, the, when Jesus is dining with the Pharisees, he's seeing that he's not, they're not including the tax collectors or the sinners. But when Jesus dines, he includes everyone and everyone is welcome. And that just shows, that gives you a picture of the kingdom of God. Everyone is welcome to come into God's kingdom. There are no exclusions. There's no one saying, no, you can't come in. And yes, you can. Everyone is accepted. Everyone can come into God's kingdom. And so Jesus notices this, and, he's, and so then he begins to, to tell this parable, and this parable is aimed at them. He wants them to get this. So let's read um, Luke 11, 15, sorry, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property, the father that is, divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his, field, into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods and the, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough, have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his, on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother, oh, sorry, his older son was in the fields. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back as safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and, and entreated him. But, the father, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a, a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fat calf for himself, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So let me ask you a question. Who represents the, the younger son in this story? Who represents the younger son in this story? Tax collectors and the sinners. Yes, well done. You sure receive a sweet afterwards. <laughs> so who, repre who, represents the, who represents the older son in this story? Yes, sir. You didn't need to put your hand up. Just shout out. Man. The, the Jews. Got to be a bit more specific. Pharisees, well done. The Pharisees and the scribes. Sorry, half, half a reward for you. Sorry. So who represents the father in this story? God, yes. Well done. Well done. You know, you guys would do good in children's ministry, you know. So, so good. Keep that in mind as, you, as, you, as we go through the message. So, you know what? Whenever I've come to read this passage, I always think of it as being the prodigal son. Who always thinks of it as being the prodigal son? But you know what? There's two sons in the story, isn't it? So it's not the prodigal son. What we're going to be looking at is, is more like it's... We see that they're both... It seems that they're both lost. So it's like the two lost sons rather than the, you know, the prodigal son because the prodigal is to be extravagant and so on. But yes, he does do that. But then there's this other bit of the story that we always seem to, to skip out, to miss out. So we're, we're going to be looking, we're going to be looking. And so the first, in the first 
the first part talks about the younger son, and that's from verses 11 to 24. And the second part talks about the older son, which is from verses 25 to 32. So let's see what we learn from what we've just read. So the first part splits into three scenes. Okay? So part one, scene one, verses 11 to 12. We see that the son demands his share of the property. What does that mean? What does he mean when he says he demands his share of the property? Don't worry, you don't need to answer. I'll answer for you. Okay. You normally ask this when you normally ask this when your parents are dead, don't you? He wants his inheritance and he wants it now. And so, really, the the listeners when they when they're hearing this, they're amazed. Wow, you know what? That's a bit serious, isn't it? So, what he's really saying is, you know what, Dad? I wish you were dead. Or right now, you are dead to me, so give me what's mine. That's what he's saying um, to his father. You know what? If, if you're here for the first time and you've never come to church or you've come to church and you've just ignored the message, and if you think that God is dead to you, if you think that God does not exist, um, God says, you know what? You, what you're doing is you're suppressing the truth in your unrighteousness. And if you believe that, you, that there are more important things in life, God says, believe in my son, Jesus, because he is life. The Bible says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If it's because you desire to be free to do what you want to do, God says, my son is the only one who can set you free. The Bible says in John 8, 36, who the son sets free is free indeed. God's love as you'll find throughout this whole chapter, his love is unconditional. He desires us to come to him. Doesn't matter who you are, God desires you to come to him. So at that time, his actions, this is the, the son's actions, would have been seen as rebellion. He would have been thrown out, or worse still, um, in Deut- as it says in Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, if a son did not listen to his parents, even after they beat him, then they will take him to the elders. And then the elders of that village would line him up and they would stone him to death. But the dad doesn't do this. The younger son wants what's his. But the father doesn't do this. He gives him what he desires. And really, what the younger son wants, what he's saying is, is yeah, he wants his property, but that word property has a, it's, has a connection. It finds its root meaning in a word meaning life. And what he's saying is, he wants the father to tear his life apart for him. He wants what's his. And so the father, he divides the property. How does he divide it? Um, Deuteronomy 21.17 tells you how he does. It would seem that the, the, the older son gets twice as much as all the other sons. So in this case, the older son got two-thirds of the property, and then the younger son got one-third. So the son gets his share of the inheritance. And so now we go into, uh, we go into the second scene which is in verses 13 to 19. And the next next verse, we see that the son gathers all that he had. 
But how does, he, how does he gather all that he has? All he's got is property. So he has to sell his property to get money so that he can, you know, he can gather all that he has. And this would have made him public enemy number one. You know, selling your property in a village where you've grown up, your father knows everyone, you know everyone, and then all of a sudden the property that's, you decide to get your portion of property and then you sell it to someone else. Imagine that, all the people in that village would have been vexed with him. He would have had to have gone and people in that village who would have lost their jobs and had to go to probably another village to find work. But he doesn't care. He's got all the money that he wants and so he journeys to a faraway country. And really, this, is, this, is, this shows that he's trying to, maybe he's trying to run away from God. Sorry, run away from his father. You know, maybe it was, it was too much to be enclosed, to be with his dad all 24-7, you know, working for him and so on. And maybe that's like some of us um, here today. Maybe we're trying to run from God. You know what? And if that, and maybe you're tired now, and so you've come to church, and that's good because here you will get the good news. And what's the good news? You know what? Ben put it nicely two weeks ago. God sent his son to save us from himself. God sent his son to save us from himself. Why? Because he's angry with us. Why is he angry? He's angry because we do not love him with all that we have. And we do not love others as ourselves. But Jesus, his son, has kept all these commandments. And so God says, believe in his son and he will not be angry with you. And send you into eternal punishment, but you will live with him forever. God came to, God sent his son to save us from himself. Now, when the younger son got to the country, he wasted everything that he had and he lived for himself and it got him nowhere. We see that after spending everything that there was, there was a famine and he was in need and his friends deserted him. So he hired himself out to a Gentile, a Gentile citizen of that country. And that word hired means it's more than just hiring out your services. What it means is he became his slave. So he's a slave to a Gentile citizen feeding pigs. In the Pharisees' eyes, this is the worst, this is the worst um, job ever. So when we get to this point in the story, you might be thinking, good, you fool. You know what, you, did, you disrespected your dad, you took all that he had, you know what I mean, you took your portion and so on. And the Pharisees, they would be thinking the same thing as well. You know what, but Jesus has a, has a way of messing up a really good end, ending because he wants you to concentrate on a more important point. So in verse 17, we see the younger son, he comes to his senses. That is, he repents. He repents of all that he's done. In verses, 40, in verses 15 to 16, we see the consequence of living for the world with a selfish motive, brings emptiness. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? Before we came to Christ, we were living for ourselves, trying to get as much as we possibly can, and then, you know what? It just doesn't seem like it's enough. It always leaves you wanting more. But compared to living for the Father now, 
we see that living for the Father is more than enough. Living for God, we always have more than enough. We're never in need. And once we believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. In verse 18, we see that the son acknowledges his wrong by saying that he sinned against his father. And because of his sin, he has no right to be called a son, but to be called a hired servant. So to be called a hired servant in, in those times in a village, it means that you would live in the village, but you wouldn't live in the father's house. It means that you wasn't guaranteed work. But what it, what it shows is that the son is ready to pay off his debt. He wants to work off his debt towards his father. Look at the son's status. He goes from having everything to having nothing. Our status doesn't matter to God. His love is unconditional, and he desires us to come to him. It doesn't matter how much money we have or how much money we don't have. God desires us to come to him. You know what? Don't try and fix yourself up before you come to God. Come as you are. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all who labor and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's love is unconditional, and he desires you to come to him regardless of your status. So now we're in verses 19 to 24. And this is the third part, or this is the third scene in part one. The the younger son makes his way back home. He knows that he may not be welcomed back, not just by his family, but by the village, the people in the village. And you know what? As soon as they see him coming, they will be telling everyone, you know what? You see that wretched boy, he's back again. You know what? You know what? He's come, he's come back again. I wonder what he's what he wants. And this time, as he's coming into the village, the village is lined up, ready to meet him. And they want to, they want, they want to throw stuff at him. They want to cuss him. They want to slap him because of all the wrong that he's done. But you know what? The father sees this in verse 20 and has compassion for his son and runs and hugs him. Now, a man in those times, they wore robes. And for a man well-respected in the community to run, it would seem, it would be, it would be humiliating for him to do so. But the father didn't care. His son had come home. And the father humiliates himself so that the son doesn't have to. So the son is not, sorry. All of you who have distanced yourselves away from God, God longs for you. He desires for you to come to him. Don't think that you won't be accepted. Don't think that you'll be rejected. God desires you to come. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. In verses 21 to 22, we see that the son acknowledged his sin but is unable to finish what he thinks his punishment should be. But his father knows what he deserves And he doesn't give it to him. Instead, what does he do? He shows mercy. 
In the same way God shows mercy to, to us. In the same way that we deserve punishment, but guess what? God shows mercy to us. And the father brings him back into his family as his son. He does this by putting on the best robe, by putting a ring on his finger, and by putting shoes on his feet. The father then orders the fattened calf to be killed. And a fattened calf in those days would feed a whole village. It would feed at least 200 people. So this was a big party. It was a special occasion. And the father makes this statement that his son was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and is now found. So the son was dead to the father. And that's, that's how those of us who are Christians used to be. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world. And when we repented and came back to God, we became alive to him. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Also in Colossians 2, 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The father also says that his son was lost and now found. Without God, we are lost. It says in Luke 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. God's love is unconditional. He desires us to come to him. If you are here today and you have a desire to come to know God, more about God, don't leave without speaking to someone. Now, this would also be a fitting end to the story. The son does bad, recognizes that he's done wrong, asks for forgiveness, and the father receives him back, but it doesn't end there. Jesus has, Jesus doesn't end it like that. He's got something more important to communicate. And so now we come to part two of our story where we're talking about the, the older brother or the older son. And in verse 25, the older son returns from the field. He returns from a hard day's work. He's told that there's a celebration for his brother's return. And instead of being happy, he's vexed. And maybe he's right. His younger brother's gone off, spent his share of the inheritance, and has come back as though nothing's happened, it would seem. In verse 28, the older brother refuses to, um, to come to the celebration. In those times, family members would be expected to be in a celebration, making sure that everyone was look, being looked after, was being taken care of. And so for the father... Now, to come out and speak to his son, this, um, this is humiliating. So for the second time in the day, he comes out, um, he humiliates himself and comes to the older brother. All the father wants him to do is come to the party. In verse 29, what does the son do instead? He gives a report of what he's done. He expects all the good works that he's done to get him what he wants from God. Or what he wants from the Father, sorry. Some of us will expect our good works to be enough to get what we want from God. But God says, 
that all our works are like filthy rags. The older brother serves the father and keeps his commandments so that he can get whatever he wants from him. He's not there to please the father, but himself. And some of us Christians may be like this, where we only serve God for what we can get instead of serving God for who he is. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will reap. Also in 1 Peter 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see that our older brother doesn't care. And this, and this may actually stop the, the younger brother from actually coming to God. What we see with the older brother is that he has no assurance of God's love. He has no assurance, sorry, of the father's love. And in verse 8, when the father shows the older brother that he's always loved him. But because the younger son was dead to him and now alive, because he's lost and now found, they should celebrate. So after verse 32, the final response of the older brother is never stated. Why? Because Jesus leaves it like like that because he's providing the Pharisees with an opportunity to repent of their sins and to accept the tax collectors and the sinners. If you're like the older brother, God is providing a way for you to repent and accept those into the church, accept those that you don't like. God's love is unconditional, and he desires everyone to come to him when we think we deserve something from God. If we're here today and we're living for what you can get from God and not living for God, then be assured of God's love. It is unconditional. So let me see if I can just give it to you in a 21st century kind of like outlook. Okay, so I'm going to retell the story in a 21st century style. I forgot my book. So um, imagine that there's the richest prophecy developer in London. Um, and he has two sons, okay? So one of the sons says, you know what? Give me my inheritance. And so the father says, fine, you know, you can, you can have your inheritance, but it comes in properties because he's a property developer. That's all he's got for him. And so the son then begins to live off these properties, but it's not enough for his lifestyle, you know, It's not taking him where he wants to go. So what he does, he sells everything, all of his properties, so that he can get cash. And he wants to go away to a faraway country. He wants to go to maybe America or maybe Hong Kong. You know, he's thinking Dubai. Let me go to Dubai. And so the younger son sells. So the younger son, that's what he does. He goes off to Dubai. As soon as he lands. Oh, I love it here, he says. He spends, you know what, he spends money on, on cars. He goes to the best hotels. He lives in the, best, he lives in the penthouse of the, of, of the best hotel in Dubai. 
he's enjoying his life. He goes to different cities. He's got different cars. He's got a girl in every city. I don't know how many cities Dubai has, but maybe he's, you know, he's, he's spreading himself around. He's got enough money to do so. And then all of a sudden, it comes to an end. He goes into the hotel, and the manager calls him over and says, you know what, can you settle with us now? And he goes to settle, but his card's declined. And he's drawing for cards, but it's all declined. He's, he's got nothing left. What's he, you know, he going to do? And at that time, there's a great recession. And there's, there's, there's the best work that he could possibly hope for is to work as a sewage cleaner. And so he goes, he goes to work. He smells a stink when he's finished. He comes home. He smells a stink. He's got enough money to pay his rent. All the rest of his money has to go to paying off his debt. He sleeps in his stink. He gets up and he goes to work in his stink. And even before that, when he has to go and get food, he goes to the food bank um, to, to get food because that's the only way he's going to survive. Okay, just roll with me. It's a little bit extravagant, but it, it works. All of a sudden, so the, the BBC News crew, they, they get wind of this and they, they're filming and they, they come to this particular guy and they say to him, you know, what happened? And he says to them, you know what, I had so much money, you know, and I, I, was, I was proper enjoying myself, living it up. But he says, you know what? And all of a sudden, it just go, a light bulb goes up in his head. But my dad, he has so many properties. You know what? If I just go back to, go back to him, I'll be fine. I'll live... You know, I could, I could just ask, you know, help me, you know, f just to work as a, as a cleaner in one, of his, in one of his hotels. And at that time, his dad is watching the BBC News service, and he sees his son, and he, he feels compassion for him. And so he gets it, he sells, says to his secretary, hold all calls, you know, forget, um, postpone my meetings. And he rushes out to his limousine, he drives to the gets driven to the airport, gets into his jet, flies over to Dubai, lands in Dubai, gets in his helicopter, and flies to where the sun is. You know what? He's rich. He can do what he wants. I see Pastor Patrick laughing. That touches my heart. So, so he lands his helicopter, and he sees his son, and he gets out, and he runs to his son, and he grabs him, he hugs him, and he kisses his nasty, stinking, disgusting, ungrateful, spent all my money, son. <laughs> and the son, he's trying to get out his words, Father, forgive me, forgive me, but his, his dad just hugs him, and he loves him. The dad takes him back to, to London, um, cleans him up, celebrates. He's having a big party at his house because his son who was dead is now alive. His son who was lost is now found. And so now the, the, the older brother returns home. Doesn't return home. So he says, you know what, I'm going to go and visit my dad. He goes and he visits his dad, drives up to the driveway, sees the lights, hears the music. 
He's wondering what's going on. And someone tells him, you know what? It's your dad's holding up high. Why? Because your, your younger brother who was lost is now found. And he's reinstated him as son. So he's made him part of the family again. As if nothing's gone wrong. The older brother is just vexed. And so the dad comes out to meet him and says, well, you know, what's, going, what's wrong? Come and enjoy the party. He says, no. What for? Are you mad? Your, your, your son went and spent all our money on good living, on prostitutes and so on, and then you want me to come and enjoy the party. You know what I mean? Why didn't you consult me first? How do I know that you love me? And the father says to you, you know what, son, I've always loved you. But your son, your brother who was lost is now found. He was dead and now he's, a, he's alive again. And if you're here today, I just want to, to say that God loves you unconditionally. He desires you to come to him. And if you're that person who thinks that God can't forgive you, I have good news for you. God loves you and he desires you to come to him. And if you're a person that thinks that the older son, unsure of God's love, the good news is God loves you and he desires you to come to him. And the only way that you can come to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ made the way possible for you to come to God. And he paid a high price to get you back. He paid with his life. And God accepted what he did. And accepting that, God throws his arms open wide to all who would come to him. God loves you. God loves us unconditionally. What are we supposed to do with this? If you're here today and you don't know God... The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. The Bible also says God desires all people to be saved. Come to God. Choose God and have eternal life. If you turn away from God, know this. When you die and you will die, Eternal punishment is all that awaits you. And if you're here today and you find it difficult when bad people enter the church, remember that what Jesus says in Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of, God, Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Remember, you were once lost and Jesus saved you. Don't be the one who's a barrier in front of someone coming to God. If you're like the older brother, accept what God desires, accept that God desires everyone to come to him. If you're holding something against someone, forgive them. And then ask them to forgive you. If you're like the younger brother, accept God today before you leave. Come and see me or, or one of the pastors and we will pray with you. And for everybody else, this is what I want you to do. Once we finish, I want you to greet someone who you've never met before. Break down those barriers. Show people that God loves unconditionally.
and that he desires everyone to come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father. It's so easy to get into a mindset that says, you know what? When you see someone, you just judge them automatically and you, we have no right to. You're the one who judges, Lord. You're the one who judges perfectly. Help us, Lord, to, to open our hearts, Father, to, to people who are coming in, Lord, and show them your love, Lord. Help us not to be a barrier to those, Father, who are coming in who are seeking you. Thank you, Father, that you give grace to the humble and you resist the proud. Help us, Lord, to be humble in our outlook, humble when we greet people, Lord, so people have the opportunity to come into your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father, that you alone are God and no one else. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.